Thanks for sticking around for our Lenten speaker series. Um, tonight we have Father John Paul Hopping. He's originally from Santa Barbara, California, and he came here to St. Louis at the invitation of the then Archbishop Raymond Burke. He served in several places in our archdiocese and a number of parishes, and that includes the Hispanic community in um, Our Lady of Guadalupe in Ferguson, and right now he's um, at St. Charles Borromeo in St. Charles. He has a passion for evangelization, including working with RCIA. Father Hopping credits his vocation to a call from within a dream. So he has a special interest in studying miracles throughout history and in the world around us. So tonight's topic is Miracles Happen and he just told us it's saints and miracles. So we'll, we'll see how that develops. Please stand and let's pray for just a little bit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you that you have called us into your marvelous kingdom of light and life. Help us through the miracles, the works of your saints, Keep always faithful to you and stay on that path to heaven, very neither to the left nor to the right. Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, we've all heard of St. Padre Pio. Not gonna talk about him, but I was fortunate to get a lot of photographs of his life. I thought, well, just sort of pass this around. When I'm boring you a little bit, you can look down and, and observe the pictures. This is famous, but there's a lot of other personal ones, very intimate ones. I was thinking, how do I hold people's attention at Mass? Well, how did Jesus hold people's attention? He worked miracles. If you look at your Bible, open a gospel, there's a miracle on every page, sometimes more than one. Ah, miracles. In this day and age when everything's being debunked, you know, with science, say, so there is no God and all that sort of thing. No. Doesn't explain everything. We have lots of miracles, and there is no scientific explanation. Our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen? Is that right? thought, well, I'm going to really celebrate uh, miracles. And then looking around, well, for this evening, want to go through St. Martin de Porres. And how many of us have heard of, um, well, I believe was a lieutenant, Father Rince, Vincent Capodano. Anybody heard of him? Okay, you got a couple, a sprinkling. Amazing. Let me just sort of jump into this. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty as chaplain of the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, 1st Marine Division, in connection with operations against enemy forces in Quang Tinh Province, Republic of Vietnam, 4th of September 1967. In response to reports, the 2nd Platoon of M Company was in danger of being overrun by a massed enemy assaulting force Lieutenant Capodano left the relative safety of the company command post 
and ran through an open area raked with fire directly to the beleaguered platoon, disregarding the intense enemy small arms, automatic weapons, and mortar fire. He moved about the battlefield administering last rites to the dying and giving medical aid to the wounded. When an exploding mortar round inflicted painful multiple wounds to the wounded, excuse me, to his arms and legs and severed a portion of his right hand, he steadfastly refused all medical aid. Instead, he directed the corpsmen to help their wounded comrades and with calm vigor continued to move about the battlefield as he provided encouragement by voice and example to the valiant Marines. Upon encountering a wounded corpsman in the direct line of fire of an enemy machine gunner positioned approximately 15 yards away, Lieutenant Capadonna rushed forward in a daring attempt to aid and assist the mortally wounded corpsman. At that instant, only inches from a goal, he was struck down by a burst of machine gun fire. By this heroic conduct on the battlefield and his inspiring example, Lieutenant Capadonna upheld the finest traditions of the United States Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life in the cause of freedom. Lyndon Johnson. How many of you guys were in the military? How many know what I'm reading? This is a citation for the Congressional Medal of Honor. This guy. So he was a Marinol uh, priest way back in the 50s when Marinol was still Catholic. Served in Taiwan for a while. The war broke out. He wanted to serve the, the servicemen, so he did. Finished up his, his uh, assignment, came back, went back and renewed it, and then was involved in this very um, difficult situation that we heard about a little bit in a citation. It was Operation Swift, 1967, Quangton Province. Estimated about 2,500 North Vietnamese Army regulars, and this was one company, which would be, I get a little confused, 30 or 60? Well, you get the idea. Compared to 2,500, way outnumbered. Saw some of the interviews. They said the artillery, or in this case, uh, the mortar fire was so continuous, it sounded like Niagara Falls. Just continuous sound. They're surrounded. There's no way out. One guy said, we didn't even know which way to shoot. We were, there's so many, and they're all over the place. And so uh, he, was, he was killed with them there. He was very beloved by the Marines because he would take chances. He would go with them on patrols. Normally, the chaplains kind of stay back in the safe areas. But he would go with them, he'd ride on the helicopter and pick him up and so forth. And he was famous for giving them little pep talks before they went out on a patrol. They'd have mass, he'd bless them. He was famous for saying, let's not be afraid, God is with us this fine day. So he really bucked up their courage and helped them. So it's a fine story as far as it goes. But I wanted to add on to as they say, remember the guy on the radio, the rest of the story? Remember him? Oh, who was that? Who knows? Shout it out. Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. This is the rest of the story.
This young man, Marine, went off, served his hitch, was on his way home, uh, and he had uh, uh, was cycled out of the, the service and found his baby brother had volunteered to go serve again as a Marine. Well, Big Brother was very, very worried about him, so he re-enlisted. He felt like he could get with his baby brother and protect him somehow, and so off he went. In the meantime, that left Dad and the sister at home, and they're praying a lot. What would be a good prayer for a serviceman that we could do for him that might do him some good? What would be a good prayer? This one? Would that help? So they prayed their rosaries. Well, this is where the miracle starts. In the middle of the night, the sister woke up screaming. She had a terrible nightmare. She saw her brother running, and there were dying Marines all around him. And the enemy's coming. Finally, they, they knock him down. He's wounded, hands, his feet, he's laying down, and he's dying. She says, just, it was real heart-wrenching and very, very vivid. She saw this. Thought, oh my gosh, you know, if, if he's going to die, if only he can have last rites. Then, out of nowhere, there's this corpsman. He's leaning over him and gave him last rites. She woke up, just as I said, screaming. She didn't know what to do. She called her father as fast as she could. He picked up on the second ring. Middle of the night, three in the morning, how would he be so fast on the phone? She tells her dad her horrible nightmare. Then he tells her he had the same nightmare. They're seeing Billy's death. And so he, father kind of calmed her down. Now, maybe it's just a coincidence. These sort of things happen. Let's not you know, overreact and so forth. Let's go to bed and you know, we'll see what happens. But two days later, the chaplain shows up with the other officer for both of them. And it's no accident, he did get killed. And said that this, this small unit, this uh, platoon, was uh, overwhelmed and they're all killed. The relief force came and his son, her brother, Billy, was still alive, very, very wounded. And he was able to talk to him a little bit. His message was, Billy said, thank the chaplain for giving me last rites. And that was in the actual document coming back from the armed forces. So the father and daughter got together and said, well, we saw the chaplain in our dream. And the dream was very, very vivid. And they both said they saw the chaplain was wounded. He was missing two fingers. His hand was all bandaged when he's giving the blessing. And he was wounded elsewhere. I forget that the leg and the foot and everything. They could see it. And she said, I would recognize his face. I'd like to thank that chaplain, whoever he was. 
But what can you do? At that time, nothing. Well, the years went by and all the military records had been computerized. And so they got on the computer, they looked for Vietnam chaplains, okay, Navy, and she just started looking at all the portraits. She just looking at the faces. She found him. It's this guy, Father Vincent Capadano. And they read the rest of his biography that he's killed in action. Okay, you ready? Six days before he anointed Billy. Doesn't it sound like a medieval story about the lives of the saints? But this is now, well, last century. So he anointed him after he was already dead. So God can play with time. I told you, if we celebrate the lives of the saints, it kind of strengthens us, it builds us up. So that's Father Vincent Capodano. And let me pass this around. You can look a little bit. St. Martin de Porres is not really well known. So he, he gets no respect. Remember the comedian on TV? Talk about it. Well, I told you, I like miracles. And more miracles are better than less. So I started reading his life. I go, wow, so many miracles. Then I read a book and a second book about his life. And this guy is the winner. St. Martin de Porres of Lima, Peru, died November 3rd, 1639. The son of John de Porres, a Spanish knight, and Anna, a freed slave from Panama. Well, there were two children, and then the father kind of abandoned the family. It seemed like he wanted a son who could inherit the property, the castles back in Spain. But since his son, was dark, like his mother, he knew that would never work. He would never be accepted. So he's very frustrated, and off he went. And the poor mother had to raise the kids herself. Now, dad would show up occasionally, but I mean, you get the idea. It was a tough go. So it's a single-parent family. Well, we're interested in Martin. Interesting little kid. Sometimes there'll be a popular article about him with pets. He was really good with animals, okay, all animals, okay, women, even little ones, like rats and mice. He'd feed them and play with them and give them names and so forth. I think his mother was horrified, but that's the kind of guy he was. And then, very good with stray dogs and so forth, he had a very, very kind, compassionate heart. His mother would send him to the market to buy some groceries. No, I mean an open-air market. And he gave all the money away to the beggars. Came back home, said, where's the groceries? He told her. She said, don't you ever do this again, and gave him a good whipping, made him promise would never give away the money again, so he didn't. So a short time later, he goes to the market, and he bought the food, and he saw the hungry people and gave the food away. 
Well, he didn't give the money away, right? He kept his promise. He got another whipping. So you get the idea. His mother sewed for him a beautiful, warm cloak. Peru's kind of cold and rainy, drizzly. And his poor mother, he frustrated her again. So he's wearing that, this little kid. And he found an Indian woman who was dying. Older Indian woman, almost naked. He felt very bad for her. So he dressed her in his cloak and stayed with her until he died. And he helped bury her in that cloak. Six, seven years old, eight years old, taking care of dying people in the street. Keep our eyes on this guy. He's special. St. Martin de Porres. Well, gets a little bit older. His dad apprenticed him when he was 12 years old to a barber. Now, the barbers in those days, pretty much all over the world, well, I mean, European world, the barbers were also the doctors. You ever hear of this before? They, they knew the herbs. They would sometimes do a little bit of surgery, too. And so he's in the healing business. Well, he was really good at it. And he had people coming to him, they weren't so interested in a haircut or a shave, but in being healed. He had lines outside of his little shop, and he'd meet with them one at a time. And oftentimes he'd give them some herbs. He'd treat them with very nice. They'd pray together, and off they go. But people were getting really wonderful results from incurable diseases. And then it was strange. Sometimes he'd give them just a glass of water. Now drink this water very slowly. Then he'd pray for them. When they finished drinking the glass of water, they would be healed. And sometimes it was an apple. He'd do that. Sometimes he just prayed for them. Well, he got this reputation. Well, everybody wanted to go to him. Remember, most diseases couldn't be treated. So the wealthy people would show up too. And as was the habit, they'd pushed away to the front and the poor people and the Indians we pushed to the side no 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 we're all children of God if you want to see me you go to the back of the line like everybody else what do you think of that is that a good deal how many in favor of that fair tree was Jesus in favor of that well what were they going to do get mad go somewhere else no one else was working miracles. So they waited. So he's developing this reputation. In the meantime, the landlady where he was testified that he almost didn't sleep. Said there'd be a, a light in his room, a candle, most of the night. She admitted that she peeked through the keyhole. They were big ones in those days. And she'd see him kneeling and praying. He seemed to pray almost all night long. Well, this went on for a while. Then his dad shows up and intervenes again. And they talk and so forth. What Martin really wants is to be a Dominican friar. So the dad talks to the prior at the priory. And the prior explains that he probably won't be accepted by the other friars because he looks black. You probably wouldn't accept him. Is this kind of embarrassing? 
a little bit of racial prejudice, 1639 in Peru. So, but sure, you know, bring them down here if you want. Well, sure enough, they complained and they said, you're just an escaped slave and this and that. If it were you or me in there, and one of the good priests comes up, says, you were just an escaped slave. You're hiding from the authorities in here and bringing, um, what would you call it, dishonor upon our house. Wouldn't you and I probably yell at him and argue with him? He didn't. Remember, this guy's a saint. He'd fall to his knees and say, oh, Father, it's true. I am the most terrible sinner. Please help me to be better. And it would kind of disarm the priest. Say, well, he, well, you could change this. You could do that. You could pray differently or this and that. So he'd always do that. And he's getting better and better. But um, they, it, it didn't work. So they sent him home. The father got involved again. And I think there's a little exchange of money, that sort of thing. And they took him, and I'm forgetting the story with the governor. They had him serve hors d'oeuvres at the palace one time. The governor really took a shine to him. They became friends, we'll visit that later on. So finally, there he is. He's at the Dominican friary, but as a tertiary, uh, third order. How many know what that is? You're sort of a volunteer who helps out. They still wouldn't make him part of the regular order. He didn't care. He's very, very happy to be there. And he is going with it. For the Dominicans at uh, the Rosary House, he was the barber, the surgeon, wardrobe keeper, infirmarian, which he's very good at. So he cared for the sick in the city, and he also washed the dishes and cleaned up everything in the kitchen. These were all the jobs that no one else wanted to do, but also it was almost supernatural that he could do all of them, and he did. And he was also responsible for almsgiving. He'd give the, uh, the food for the poor. Now, the, the priory didn't have a whole lot of resources itself, but they shared what they had, and so Martin was sent out with, just keep it simple, like these loaves of bread. And there were some times that the other, the other uh, monks say, Father, prior, we're so poor and we really don't have enough food for us and you're going to give it away on the street? And the prior was a good guy. He was always supporting Martin. So he said, we won't worry about it. Brother Martin's in charge. I'm sure we'll be fine. And Martin would frequently return back to the house with more bread than that which he had left. How did he do this? He multiplied bread. Now, Jesus multiplied the loaves how many times? Two times in the gospel? Martin seemed to do this almost daily. I never heard of a saint that multiplied food so frequently, almost daily. Remember, he lived in a very, very poor situation, his mother and sister, so he really carried a torch for poor families. He was always trying to take care of them. They estimated that he was supporting, at least the time he died, about 200 families by himself. Wait, time out. 
How would a poor monk get the money to support families and pay for them? Well, it was in the book. I have to back up a little bit. With his travels to the poor neighborhoods and so forth, there was a neighborhood terrorized by this vicious dog, this wild, vicious dog. Have you ever, even you, you men, have you ever been around a dog that made you just a little bit uncomfortable? Big German Shepherd, maybe a boxer, maybe uh, um, uh, uh, what's the other guard dog? Fit the name of it. And if one's really vicious, and even the adults were afraid, he goes to the neighborhood, that is to say, Brother Martin, the dog snarls and growls and barks, comes at him, and Brother Martin charmed him, turned on him and said, shame on you. And the dog just stopped. Here you are, a fine, handsome creature God, terrorizing all of God's children, his baptized children, shame on you. And the tear went between the legs and the head went down. And he talked to him a little bit and he pet him. And that dog followed him around and he, of course, fed him. And see how God writes straight with crooked lines. That dog was his bodyguard when he went through all these dangerous areas, including going into bars. So he'd go into bars and he'd say, I'm here collecting alms for the poor. Let that soak in. Ah, get out of here, you bum, you, you no good beggars. No, 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 I'm not leaving. I'm giving money to the poor. And I'm not leaving until I get gold coins from you, not silver, gold. I am supporting a lot of your children who are living on the street. Now, how would that be possible? How would they have children on the street? How many understand? How many get it? Those are the children, their children with uh, prostitutes, right? Martin was going to take care of them. He says, you have an obligation to take care of your kids, and I want gold coins. So they'd make a move to throw them out or approach him. That dog would snarl and everything. They'd back up. They'd give him gold coins just to make him go away. Hey, this is a good racket, isn't it? And you can repeat it again in a couple of weeks. Come back and get them. That's how he's supporting all these people. And, well, this goes on. And then other people are saying, well, it's wonderful, you know, feeding the poor and so forth, but if we could really help the young people out, you know, to really have gainful employment, uh-huh, like what? Well, like a trade school. So he collects some money donations, and he set one up. It's working, it's going there. Other people came and said, well, that's wonderful for the young men. And what about the young women? Well, I suppose you're right. So he set up what I think we would call here a finishing school. Set up one of those for all the poor people's doing that. And then later on, as far as I know, one of the very first rest homes for old folks. This is all from Brother Martin, this wandering poor beggar a Dominican. So he gets that going. He said also, in the butler's lives of saints, he also cared for African slaves that had come over. How would a guy like him work so many miracles while you're thinking about that? Remember, to become a saint, we've got to have some documented miracles. 
One of the main ones is one of the brothers had an infected leg, it was gangrene, and the leg needed to be amputated. So he's laying on the table. He goes in, and Brother Martin said, I just want to see if there's anything I can do for him. And the priest said, well, I don't know. I'm really kind of hungry for a salad. He says, fine, I'll make you a salad. So he brings it back. He tells him, eat this salad slowly. Now, we heard that before, right? Eat the apple slowly. Drink the, the water slowly. Eat it slowly. And Martin left. And pretty soon, they hear him screaming and yelling in what would have been the, the surgery theater. And everybody runs in. What's wrong? What's wrong? He goes, my leg, my leg. Go, what? He says, well, it's hot. It's so hot. He says, it's being healed. You can feel it. So, and it was, Brother Martin did it. It's got to be Brother Martin. Then additionally, they had a lot of the, the priests would get fevers certain times of the year, and they didn't have good treatment for them. And they didn't have a real nursing staff. So the common practice was to lock them in their rooms at night so they'd get up and wander around and you know, something bad happened to them on the streets. So they'd be locked in their rooms. And more than one testified in the middle of the night, they're dying of fever and thirst. Or, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And they'd look up, and Brother Martin would be there. And he would console them, give them some water, wash their faces, and then he would sort of disappear. And the morning, they'd verify, Brother Martin never had a key to the rooms. How did he get in the rooms that were locked? And then it gets more strange. One time there's a passing, uh, a nobleman is receiving hospitality in the Spanish uh, army, traveling all around and so forth. He sees Brother Martin, he goes, that's the one. That's what I was telling you about. Okay, what? Well, I told you we had this big battle in the Philippine Islands and our unit was almost destroyed and we're just distraught, we're, we're hungry and thirsty, and we prayed to God for help. And this monk showed up out of nowhere, this Dominican friar. He's black, it's him. He's the guy. He says, oh, I'm sure you're mistaken. Brother Martin has always been with us here in Lima, Peru. He says, oh no, he's the one. I will never forget that face. The same thing happened again another time, only it took place in Libya said they were wiped out in the, the desert sun and everything, and thirsty, they prayed to God for help, and there this, this Dominican friar who looks African showed up, prayed for them, encouraged them, gave them some water and some food, and told them everything would be all right. You guys, are you guys getting your money's worth tonight? It's a pretty good story. Why haven't we heard this before? Amazing. Well, we're still not done. They had a catastrophic flood. It's terrible. The water came down, the rivers overflowed, and the cathedral flooded, and people ran to Martin. He's getting a reputation at this point. He said, Brother Martin, you have to do something. He said, well, what can I do? I'm just a poor, poor friar. He said, well, you, but you're close to God. Do something. He said, well, all we can do is pray. So God and together they prayed. And it became very, very quiet. The wind stopped, everything stopped. The water became very still, no more waves, and it slowly went back down. Afterwards, it came to him and they said, 
oh, Brother Martin, it's so wonderful, so wonderful, and you stopped the flood, and we're so grateful to you. We're going to tear down the cathedral and rebuild it on higher ground so it'll never flood again. And it was one of the few times he got angry. He said, don't you know the water will never come this high again? So that's the cathedral that you'll go and you'll see there. Very, very humble. The order would give him a new, a new habit, you know, new clothes and new sandals, and he would give them to the beggars. And he'd say, when you don't want them anymore, bring them back to me. So most of the time, he was barefoot in his sandals. How many have seen a uh, statue of St. Martin de Porras? Ever seen one? Did they have the, the gold paint decoration on the statue, and it looked really nice and everything? That is so unrealistic. That's not the way he looked. Just very, very humble, very, 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 very simple. He pretty much never slept in his cell. He had a busy day, and he'd finish up in the evening with, with dishes in the kitchen. By 8, 30, 9 o'clock, he'd go in, into the chapel at night. So in the big monasteries and so forth, they have their own chapel. Now this is what year again? 1620, 1630, electric lights. So it'd be pretty dim. You'd have for sure the sanctuary lamp. There might be another candle somewhere just so they can see. Middle of the night, it's kind of hot, and some of the, the friars would be in there praying and so forth. Well, what Martin did was, because it's dark, this is not mass, it's kind of like private time, it's not open to the public. So it's kind of you know, personal for the priests and so forth. He'd go right up to the crucifix. He was a little different than this one. It was a Spanish-style crucifix. So yeah, so what? Spanish-style, bloody, very true to life. Is it, if I, is it, is it in Isaiah or one of the other prophets is talking about the, the Messiah? and his passion, and it says they will not recognize him as being human. He's so marred by, by being whipped and so forth. So Jesus didn't look like this. Much, much more shocking. And that's where Martin liked to pray. That was his favorite spot. He'd be at the foot of the crucifix, and he'd pray. And in the morning, sometimes it'd be just a little pile of Dominican clothes, and he's in it. That's where he would sleep, too. Can anybody guess, why do the great saints prefer to pray in front of a crucifix, especially a bloody crucifix? St. Teresa of Avila was the same way. Why so bloody? Can anybody guess? Why is Jesus on the cross? What's he doing up there? He's redeeming us from our sins. So he's suffering for us. So all the blood and everything is evidence of Jesus' love for us, which is what Martin needed to keep going. He needed Jesus' love, and he got that from seeing Jesus so bloody like that. Well, this would have to be from the other monks. Over time, he, he won them over. At the end, they all loved him and revered him. They said when he prayed in there, his skin 
gave off light. So what would he be seeing? He'd be seeing his hands, you know, the sleeves and everything, and his face, and I guess his feet, and it glowed, gave off light. Is this a pretty good saint for you? Additionally, I told you he still treated the, the poor and the sick, so he had an herb garden and so forth. When he was out in the herb garden, sometimes he'd pray and he would levitate. I saw something they were saying, oh, Buddha levitated when he meditated and all this and that, and kind of like that. Eh, that's nothing. St. Martin de Porres would sometimes levitate 30 feet in the air, be up like that, praying. Now, the weird thing is these people don't talk about it. When they come down, I don't know if they know that they're doing something unusual. They think they're having a wonderful experience with Jesus, but that was Martin de Porres. So he healed people, levitated, occasionally knew the future, could pass between walls, apparently bilocate. Who else bilocated that we know about? Who has those papers? Padre Pio bilocated. Well, he's a pretty good guy. He was also a good friend of St. Rose of Lima and Blessed John Macias, another Dominican. He was at a different uh, priory. Why does God give us miracles through the saints? What's the purpose of them? Jesus didn't heal everybody, but he healed a lot. What was he doing with the healings? Trying to get people's attention to look for spiritual healings, change their way of life. And for us, it gives us faith. In our own time, have you ever noticed how, this is just my own opinion, but see what you think. In general, at most of our masses, we don't talk about miracles. If it's daily mass, little or nothing about the saint. If the saint worked miracles, we don't talk about them. You notice that? On Sunday, even Easter Sunday, do we really talk about the resurrection of Jesus? Not much. Beautiful day and the flowers are blooming and grandma and grandpa are here. We're looking forward to hunting for the Easter eggs. It's a wonderful, happy day. And it is. But without the miracles, there's no... There's no substance to it. You can't be sure. So our faith is based on the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. He worked a lot of miracles. He says in the gospel, you will work greater miracles than these. And St. Martin de Porras certainly did more miracles. And it gives us a lot of confidence that God is with us and good things are still happening. Has anybody here heard of the Lord's Ranch? in New Mexico where they feed poor people and the food multiplies from time to time. You can Google that. It's out there. Okay. When we're really prayerful, the miracles will start to happen. So Father, have you had the experience of the Eucharist multiplying where 
somehow is just a miscalculation. We always do our best when we're preparing for a mass to have enough hosts for everybody. And we, I, I would expect us to make mistakes from time to time, but there's been a couple of times, I, I don't, I was busy, it's true, and I, I've only got hosts for about half of the people there. This is bad, this is really, really bad. So we would have to break hosts. Think, well, I, even if we do this, I don't know how this is gonna work out, this is bad. There'll be complaints. There'll be letters to the bishop. I'll be in trouble. I can hear, Father, what are these complaints I'm hearing? Oh. Say, dear Lord, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. I'm doing the best I can, please. So anyway, we break the host to half, maybe to half, Think, but I'm gonna run out, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And there's a big line and all of a sudden, it's gone, it's finished. Everybody received Holy Communion and I still have hosts left. That is not possible. I, I'm sure I misunderstood or miscalculated, but it, I can't be off that much. Say, so, well, praise the Lord. I go on, finish up the Mass. You ever had that happen a couple times? I talked to a friend in Tucson. He goes, oh, yeah, the Lord multiplies bread for us all the time. I, I'd never had the nerve to call it that. But there's little ones. Anybody here had a miracle in their family? Anyone had a miraculous healing or anything? Get a job at the right moment? No? Well, pray and ask the saints for help. And again, St. Martin, money stuff, family stuff. St. Martin, very, very miraculous. If you Google him, you can actually see his uh, tomb in Peru. It's in a parish church, big black stone. They got a railing around it, and he's down there. And... Well, this is so small, I can't hardly see it. As far as I know, there's no paintings of him. But St. Martin de Porres. So, are there miracles still happening in our time? Where do they come from? From God. How do we get them? By praying. And by the way, where we have details of the lives of the saints, and the, the, the saints are very miraculous. I've noticed the miracle-working priests, miracle-working saints, all fast. I'm not saying you can't have a miracle without fasting, but the ones that work lots of miracles, fast. Hmm, hmm. Just, just stand out there for ourselves. And then, of course, the rosary. Remember with our first, let's wrap this up, for Father Vincent Capadano with that family. Did they pray the rosary because it was fun? No, not particularly. So they prayed it because they wanted God to take care of the son, or the, the brothers. And so let's do that too. We've got kids in our family we're worried about and all the rest. Pray the rosary every day, amen? A little bit of extra time, do the divine mercy. Get that in there too. Not because it's entertaining. It's not for us to be entertained. It's for us to save souls. And that's a pretty big miracle too, isn't it? Would Jesus smile if we save some souls? Starting with our families? Well, at any rate, lives of the saints, there's different ones out there. Some have amazing stories. But what about St. Martin de Porres? 
Can you think of any other saint that worked more miracles than he did? Or anyone who's close? Who's your favorite saint? I like the guys that have the wounds of Christ. So we start with St. Francis. Okay, the nail head sort of stuck out like they were flesh. Padre Pio is actually a, a puncture wound. Has anybody else? Any of you ever read the, the book, was it, um, with the life of Blessed Mother by uh, Anna Catherine Emmerich? Anybody ever heard of her? Did you know she was a stigmatist? They kind of hid it. I didn't know that. Okay. A lot of these people. Any questions? All right. Well, I hope you take that with you. If the grandchildren are asking you for a good story, tell them a little bit about St. Martin de Porres. Okay? Driving his mother crazy, but becoming a great saint. <laughs>